more into all that you have done for us. We, we call it Easter. And yet, Lord, it is a time of great rejoicing for us who know you as Savior because we proclaim as no other religion can. We proclaim that no other reality can. We proclaim that no other relationship can that our Savior lives. And because he lives, I too shall live eternally with him in glory. The last phrase of the chorus we sang reminds us, when I stand in glory, I shall see his face. And there I'll serve my king forever in that holy place. Thank you, O my Father, for giving us your Son and leaving the Holy Spirit with us till our work on earth is done. We know greater joy, no greater reality, no greater truth than realizing that one day we will stand in glory and there we'll worship you forever. This morning, Lord, as we have raised our voices in song to you, we are so grateful that for all that you have done for us, we are reminded of that each and every day. For it is by your grace we have our being. It is through your strength that we can even begin to walk in the morning. And it's because of your love that not only do you provide for us for our daily sustenance, but your great love is what has sheltered us and is even preparing us for glory. So thank you, O my Father. We praise you this morning, Lord God, for the great sunshine that we have. It seems to put a little bit of a lighter step in our walk. We enjoy it. We bask in its beauty and in its glory. And personally, Lord, I'm thankful that it grows grass that I can be able to mow pretty soon. That gives me great joy, and I thank you, Lord, that you shower us with great joy. Others like to go fishing. Others like to go hunting. Others like to do other things, but yet, Lord, I really enjoy mowing grass. It's a time that I have with just you. And even over the roar of the mower, Lord, I can just talk to you. And that's true no matter what we do and no matter where we are, we can just talk to you. And so this morning, Lord, we want to just talk to you for a few moments. Talk to you about individuals of our families who right now are, are not feeling to the top of their, of their strength. They're ill. Lord, I, I ask that you would heal them. I know that many of them have been to doctors and they've gotten antibiotics and other things to help them, but yet, Lord, the true healing comes from you. And I pray that you would touch them. 
for our next-door neighbors, oh Lord God. I, I know this is a great time of a season to even begin to invite them to come to a special service. Sort of an introduction to who you are, Lord, and, and what you've done for us. Give us the, the wisdom and give us the courage to even walk across the lawn or take a pan of cookies with us or maybe a mug of coffee or something and, and just go to them and invite them. Invite them to church on Sunday morning, Easter Sunday morning, and let them know that there's a Savior who not only died for them, but has risen for them. And that they can come and, and hear the good news from the Word of God. But we can also do that with the individuals we meet as we, whether go grocery shopping or stop and get gas or, or wherever we go. It's an opportunity that we have to serve to serve our people, to serve our community, to serve one another. And we thank you, God. Lord, we want to talk to you a little bit about our missionaries, too. There, some of them have already completed the activities of this morning because of the time difference. There are others that will begin later after we've finished. But time has, you have no boundaries by time. You're there as you are here. And we pray, oh God, that you would strengthen them, that Lord, that as they share your word, that they would be empowered by your spirit to accomplish that in the lives of the people that they share with. To accomplish in their lives, Lord, that which you desire for them to hear. And then this morning, Lord, not only do we want to talk about you, but we want you to talk to us. Your word is that powerful. That is your very words. You breathed it. You breathed it into the minds and into the hearts of the author's selected as they were by your wonderful grace to pen for us words that we need. And this morning, O oh Lord God, as we look into your word, we ask that your spirit would teach us this morning. Teach us a relevancy of what the passage would have for us and how it is that we are to live out that passage even in our everyday lives. And as we prepare our hearts for the communion service, I pray, O oh God, that there too you would speak to us. Not only it is a time of reflection upon what you've done for us, but it is also a time of remembrance of your great love. And so, Lord God, thank you again for this morning. May you be not only the object of our worship, but may you be the very person that changes our lives. And we'll thank you and praise you in your name. Amen. 
Throughout the month of April, I want to do a series of messages that focus us on the cross. Sort of the road, if you will, to the cross. This morning, I want to look at and discuss with you and allow the Holy Spirit to use His Word to minister to your hearts that that road to the cross was a path of service. And John chapter 13 is where we'll be taking our message from this morning, if you want to turn there. John chapter 13 is the complete change, if you will, in the book of John. And prior to this, there are a number of things that the gospel of John is relevant for, as we remember the the. The main reason, or if you will, the, the purpose statement of the Gospel of John is to show to us or to teach to us that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and through him you might have life through his name. That's John's thesis statement, if you will. But in John chapter 13, there's a couple of phrases that all of a sudden give us the indication that instantly we are moved away from what Jesus would be looking at as earthly ministry, now he's going to the cross. Prior to John chapter 13, there are instances not only in John, but in the other synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke, synoptic meaning the same, where Jesus would continually say, the hour has not yet come, my hour has not yet come, but that has changed now. In John chapter 13, we begin reading just in the first verse, and you'll see how the dynamic of this book changes just in this one verse. It says, Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour has come, his hour of death has now come. He is about to walk into the threshold of suffering. He is is about to be not only mocked and whipped and nailed to the cross, but in this hour, his whole ministry changes from the fact that now he is focusing on for the reason that he came. And Jesus said, The Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. I've come to seek and to save those who are lost. That now all changes from words to action. His hour has come. He's with his disciples. In fact, what's also interesting is that that his hour had come that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the very end. His disciples are, are with him. They are alone together. They're in what is called the upper room. 
In fact, John chapter 13 to John through John chapter 17 is known as the upper room discourse. It's what Jesus is teaching. It is what Jesus is equipping his disciples with. It is what Jesus is trying to encourage his disciples at the time of his hour. And now it has come. He's not amongst the, the multitudes right now. He's with the ones who he says that he has loved even to the very end. From the first time that he called James and John and Peter, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. That stream of love not only began there, but it carried through the whole river of his ministry to even now at the, to the very end, he loves his disciples. Dear people, if there ever comes a time in your life where you even begin to question the fact, does God really love me? Take great assurance just in this first verse of John chapter 13 that in Jesus Christ, his love has never ceased loving you. Even before you came to know him, he loved you. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, but God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. The love of Christ has never ceased. Oh, there may be times of darkness. I understand that. There may be times of gloom in your life. There may be instances where even the forces of darkness are whispering in your ear the fact that God doesn't really love you, but take it from the scriptures, dear people, that God hasn't ceased loving you, even to the very end. And even one day, we'll be able to stand before him face to face, and then and only then will we fully understand and realize how much God really does love us. But in this particular chapter, in the first 17 verses, there's a lesson for us that we don't normally equate with the communion service. There is some discrepancy against theologians who don't look at John chapter 13 as being connected with the other Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke as they describe the Passover in the upper room and such as that. But, but take it to heart that it, this, it is in this moment, as Jesus is, is with his disciples in the upper room, and they're eating the supper, they're eating the meal, that now Jesus begins to equip them for all the things that they're going to need. Remember in John chapter 14, I go to prepare a place for you. In John chapter 15, Holy Spirit is going to come to you. Abide in me as my words abide in you. Stay close. 
In chapter 17, he has this wonderful pastoral prayer that he gives to his disciples. And he says to his father, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but I'm asking you to protect them even in the world. And then he even includes us in that prayer because later on he says, I even pray for those who have not yet come to me. That's you. That even before you were born, Jesus prayed for you. That the Father would protect you. That the Father would bring you unto himself. And then in chapter 18, Jesus goes with his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane. But in chapter 13, there is this interesting teaching that Jesus inaugurates using, if you will, a teaching example. It says they're having supper together. And in the middle of the supper, Jesus does something that his disciples never expected him to do. He gets up from the table. He removes his outer garment. And he gets a basin and he fills it with water and he begins to wash the feet of his disciples. There are some religious people that believe that that should automatically be instilled in the worship service. I don't know if this is a passage that that we want to hang that on, but the illustration that Jesus uses is so dynamic that it literally messed his disciples up. You see, when individuals would come to a friend's home for a supper, there was a slave that would be in that house. And, and the slave would be of the lowest, not necessarily a house servant, but a slave. And it was that slave's job, if you will, to greet all of the guests at the door. And there would be benches for them to sit on, and he would have them sit, and he would remove their sandals from their feet, and then he would wash their feet, and then he would take a towel and dry their feet, and then he would put their sandals back on them. It was the duty of a slave to do that. What is interesting in this particular text, as Jesus is doing that, This wonderful Greek word comes into play, and it's the Greek word doulos, which means slave. It can also mean bondservant. It can also mean a servant. This slave, Jesus gets up, and he begins to wash the feet of his disciples And I got to wonder, maybe in their minds, what is this all about? Can't you really just maybe imagine that maybe Jesus was waiting for one of the disciples to do that? But it wasn't happening in the supper. So Jesus gets up, removes his outer cloak, and he does that which a lowly slave was supposed to do. I don't know if it was Peter who was the first one. 
there's some conjecture. Maybe he was, but maybe he wasn't. But he gets to Peter's feet. And you can imagine Peter pulling his feet back away, saying, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. Listen to the words that Jesus said. If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. That had to shock Peter because he said, okay, God, have it all. Do my head and my hands too. In other words, give me a bath. And Jesus said, Peter, you don't need a bath. You don't need the full cleansing of a bath because if you're in me, you've already been cleansed. But what you need is to be daily washed maybe through the word, maybe through the Holy Spirit's prompting. But you need to have that daily washing. Don't you find that to be true in your own life, dear brother and sister? In Christ, yes, we have been fully cleansed. There is now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. We have been cleansed. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7. I'm sorry, 1 John chapter 1 verse 7. That through the blood of Christ, we have been cleansed. We don't need that. But what we do need is daily cleansing from the word of God. How many times has it been that you've picked up your devotions that day and all of a sudden... Holy Spirit just smacks you in the face. <laughs> That's what I needed. That's what I need. And my reaction to it is this. Will I willingly succumb to what the Lord Jesus Christ would have for me to do? Would I willingly become a doulos for him? But in that phrase we just mentioned, there's also a, there, there is a personal application, and it's this. Who or what are you counting on to cleanse you completely? Let that just sink in. Well, I go to church every Sunday. I got a boatload of Sunday school pins that go from my chest down to my toes. I've never missed a day. I'm sorry. That's not what the Word of God has to say. Well, I, I help old ladies across the street. That's good. That'll get you a Boy Scout badge, but it won't get you into heaven. Well, I don't. Smoke or chew or hang out with those who do. Well, that's good. You've limited your worldly influence, but that doesn't make it either. You see, Jesus says, if I don't wash you, then you're not part of me. I mean, have you come to that place in your life 
will you really recognize the fact that it is only Jesus that can save me? He's the only one. You go back and do your historical study, there has never been a leader of a religious group who has willingly laid down his life for his people. Only Jesus Christ has done that. His hour has come. And in this particular passage, even as we come to these elements here this morning, Jesus is asking us this. Would we be willing to serve? Are we willing to be slaves to one another? Most certainly. In fact, Jesus, even as he closed this particular paragraph, he says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. It goes beyond the fact of realizing, dear people, that we have been cleansed by the Lord Jesus Christ. It goes well beyond the realm of that. That in and itself is an eternal destination question. And it is also eternal destination reality that in Christ, in Christ alone, he who has, life, has the Son has life. But it goes beyond that. These disciples who stayed with Jesus for over three years, they knew everything that Jesus did. They were there when he did it. But Jesus said, if you know these things, but the real blessing is is if you do them. So not only is this passage having a personal application, but it has a corporate application, even in the church. And it's this. Would we be willing to be servants, slaves, even for our community in Christ? What about our next-door neighbors? Would Would we be willing to serve them? All in the name of Jesus Christ. What about an individual that would come and be the first-time visitors here? Are they greeted as that which is more important than myself? And that is being illustrated by the fact, would I get up from my seat and go over and welcome that person this morning? That's being a slave of Jesus Christ. Even to the point that we would be willing to humble ourselves. Because if Jesus, who was teacher and Lord in that passage, if he is willing to humble himself to wash his disciples' feet, how could I not be willing to humble myself to be a servant or a slave? to someone else. And that's what these elements, another aspect of these elements this morning. Jesus Christ willingly gave all he had to be able to serve you 
And he served you by going to the cross. And it is there that he bled and died. It is there that he gave his all in order that you can have all of eternal life. Let's take a few moments this morning and examine our hearts. This is more than grape juice and a cracker. This is an illustration. It's a reminder of all that Jesus Christ has done for us. Let's allow him to even maybe this morning convict us of something that Peter wasn't willing for him to do until he fully understood all that Jesus can do. Let's take a few moments and examine our lives. Our Holy Father, as we come before you, not dressed in our own righteousness, but in the righteousness of our Savior, Jesus Christ, I ask as we partake of these elements that our minds and our hearts would lead us all the way back to when Jesus willingly went to the cross for us. The juice reminds us of Christ's shed blood. The wafer, the cracker, reminds us of how his body was bruised and beaten. But he did it because he loved us. He became our slave so that we might become sons of God. So Lord, as we partake of these elements, let us be reminded of what you shared with your disciples that the greatest in the kingdom of God is those who serve, who willingly put aside their pride who willingly put aside even their own desires that they can serve other people. And may that be our heart cry, O oh God, even this morning, as we recognize the road to the cross travels a path of service. And we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen.